Hey, I didn't forget about you. You're a person that needs to be in a place where you are working close with someone else, a mentor, a friend, someone that could take you to the deeper and more intricate parts about being a sales engineer, but you don't know where to go. Learnful is a program that allows you to work with people that are high ranking sales engineers, solution architects, solutions advisors, and they're able to not only mentor you, but teach you the ways to become a sales engineer that can be impactful for you. If you think that Learnful is for you, go ahead and click on the link below for more information. You can use my promo code Joseph150 to be able to save. Go ahead and click the link below. And now back to our show. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Tech Niche Tips. I am your host, Joseph M. Smith, and like always, I have another one for you. And this one is going to be a gem, or I should say a jewel, as we have a special guest that is joining us today, none other than Jewel Love. I mean, I got to say it from the top. I love that name. No pun intended. I really do. <laughs> awesome. Joseph, I'm so glad to be here. Happy to talk about my name for the next 40 minutes. We're going to have a great conversation. <laughs> just joking. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, the name alone, we could, you could just talk about that. But we're, we're really going to be talking about what you do. And, let, and if you if you want to give people a great picture of it, I don't want to diminish your light in any way, shape, or form. Can you talk about what it is that you do for those that are right now looking to climb the corporate ladder? Yeah, absolutely. So we know there's a lot of talk about DEI and diversity initiatives, things of this nature. And yet we know those do have a place. My company, we specifically focus on black men in corporate America primarily, although we're making some inroads uh, in the UK as well. Mm. And so while DEI really focuses on how do we change the culture of the organization for black men to thrive, we take a slightly different approach and we say, what can we do as a community and what can we do as far as mindset and skill set to ensure that black men win economically, but also professionally as far as seniority is concerned. So I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching for my clients and we do just that. We work on mindset, we work on skill set, confidence, personal branding, executive presence, how to get their dream job, building out a robust network, all of these pieces of the puzzle for them to be firing on all cylinders in the business world. But mm -hmm. Joseph, and I'm excited to announce it here, what we're focusing on pivoting toward is actually building out a brotherhood. We're calling it the Seven Figure Brotherhood. It's an online platform, and it's going to provide mentoring from C-suite mentors, black men. There's going to be on-demand learning as far as courses for you to get the skill sets you need. There's going to be quality networking. There's going to be live coaching. All of these components for black men in a communal space to get the skills we need to advance together. So we're also excited about that piece. And I truly believe it's going to have uh, more of an impact than one-on-one -on -one coaching can. Wow. And community is where you can really keep accountable as well. So if you see somebody else moving in that direction, you're like, why can't I? And, um, and that's going to be something that those that participate in this program can really reap the benefits of. But I can't lie. I have to go back to it because I know I can imagine people right now. They're like, Jewel? Jewel Love? Is that a pseudonym? Is that his real name? Where did that come from? Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it's interesting because with my name, I typically know when I move, you know, let's say 
uh, sign up for a new gym or something like that, they're going to ask for your name. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be an experience that we're going to have together around my name. <laughs> I just know it by now. So I usually just share the first name. Let's see if we can kind of stop it there. But then they may need to know because Jewel usually is like, <laughs> Jewel, but when I share love, they just put the pencil down, they put the paper down, and we're going to have this moment together of, wow, that's an amazing name. Is yeah. it your real name? How did you get your name? Tell me about that. Yeah. So we have a conversation uh, about it. Now, for me, I would say because it's my name and it's just every day, it would probably be as ordinary as like just an ordinary name that you might pick out or excuse me, a more common name or a wildly common name because I hear it all the time. But yeah. for many people that hear it for the first time, it kind of blows their mind to hear it. So that's the first piece. But the second piece, I actually want to take it a few levels deeper. Uh, my name is Jewel Edward Love Jr. So my father, Jewel Edward Love Senior, he got the name from his grandmother. So this name has been coming down for a few generations now. And I also have a psychotherapy background, although I'm focused on coaching now. I have a master's in clinical psychology. I practiced for six years. Love that. And then coaching really called me and I answered that call. So when I think about therapy and I think about psychotherapy, I think about the hero's journey. Jordan D, we're going to drop in. In many great movies, they have that archetype and they have that story of transformation. So for me, I've gone from a place where my name was not something I thought about that much to something I actually shied away from and said, why don't I have more of a common name? It would just be, I don't know, like easier or something like that. Embracing my name and moving more so inch by inch into more of a public personality or persona where the name itself has a bit of a sparkle to it. It has a shine to it that people yeah. definitely don't forget easy. Now, if they don't remember if it's Jewel or Gem or Diamond, they may not know the specifics, but they know that that guy has a very unique name. And the last piece around love is something that I'm really learning about as far as impact. My mission, obviously, is pretty obvious. It's very impact driven. And below that impact, it's coming from a place of love and mm. love for my fellow man to build out this community yeah. support, being the answer that we need to reach all of our dreams. And mm. so we're actually beginning to live in, and we may all have this in our own way, but really to live into and embrace the uniqueness, the power and the significance for me and my mission of my own name. So the, an the, the, the question is good, and yet the answer, it's a living answer. It's constantly yes. evolving. Wow, it's an organism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the answer is an organism. It just continues to grow, develop. And honestly, that's, that's, that's quite remarkable. When I'm thinking about just your name, and I'm thinking about all that you are, have probably gone to, through, you ended up being a clinical psychologist. And my question is, as many people may wonder, where was that bridge that went from, okay, I'm going to be studying clinical, clinical psychology to now let me start coaching individuals, high income individuals to take them to the next level in their career? Absolutely. We may hear a little bit of train noise outside. I'm here in lovely Mexico and uh, we got the, the train action. There's actually a train that 
It's the Tequila Express, because the part of Mexico that I'm in, Guadalajara, in the city of Tequila is right up that way. So it's cool to look out and actually see it go by. You're talking to a native New Yorker. That's this is like the music that we go to sleep to. <laughs> so ah, okay, another deal. So as far as that transition is concerned, um, you know they're they're really cousins of one another. When we talk about psychotherapy and coaching, and many say that coaching came out of a more solution focused sector within psychotherapy. So some of those places in psychotherapy are going to be looking at your childhood. What happened, the influences growing up, uh, how you were impacted developmentally, how that impacts your socialization, identity, confidence, things like that today. And that would probably be on one end of the spectrum of what happened to you in the past impacts you and the you know how you feel about yourself and the results you're achieving today. The other end of the spectrum is more don't care about that. We're going to focus just on today. What do you need to do to get success immediate or tomorrow or in the future? Mm -hmm. It's not focused on the past. So psychotherapy, psyche therapy, uh, talking about, you know, going back to psyche translating into soul in, uh, or spirit. And now today we just call it mental, like mental mind, mental health, and then therapy, healing, psyche, soul healing. Today, we just call it mental health, but that's the root of psychotherapy, psychology, mm. things of this nature. Soul, as in emotions. Exactly. Yep. Ah. Yeah. So it, it, it can be pretty profound, even though it's used to cure depression, anxiety, PTSD, other mental health disorders. The conversations around how to do that and where mental illness comes from. It's a very rich conversation, but making that transition from essentially healing to lifestyle creation, it's, it's pretty much just kind of one step away. I would say that these are cousins to each other and many of the practices used in both. Frankly, they're pretty similar, but the differences are that when people come for mental health service, they're looking to overcome or heal from a mental health disorder, typically. And on the side of coaching, they're looking for typically lifestyle creation. They're looking to establish that dream relationship or build out their physique in a certain way or make a certain amount of money or impact in the world. And that's where I lean now as far as coaching. For me, the pivot from one to the other was I grew up poor. And I know people sugarcoat it and say stuff like working class, this, that, and the third. Mm -hmm. um, we, didn't, we didn't call it that, but we didn't have a problem with it either. We have poor jokes. It was who's the poorest is the best. We just had a whole culture around it. And I had a, I had a great upbringing. We just didn't have very much money. And there weren't many financially, professionally successful black men around me growing mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just going to just be very transparent. You know, I saw ballers, rappers, actors, the, the musicians. Those were the, those were the brothers who were really doing really well financially. The black business class, I didn't really have an idea this even really existed per se. Mm -hmm. So I go through my teens. I go through my 20s. I go through mid-30s. I start Black Executive Men, my psychotherapy company for black men in corporate America. 
and I start getting introduced to these black men who are product managers. I have no idea what this is. Program managers, VPs, C-suite leaders, directors. And all of a sudden I'm introduced to this whole corporate structure that exists. Mm. And I find myself doing workshops at major corporations and getting paid from the company that I used to be on the paying end of. Pull up to Shell gas station, you know, Shell, get some gas, you're paying. You go on the Google, they're showing you ads, it's how they're getting paid. But then I started working with guys and getting money from guys, because they're my clients, that were working at these companies. So now I'm Mm. kind of indirectly getting paid from these larger corporations, and I just start to nerd out on it and say, this is this whole world, there's so much money there. There's so much influence on society there. I'm just fascinated with this intersection between those two things and black men. And I want to pivot to this piece around lifestyle creation. What is possible? Mm-hmm. And what I discovered, and I'm still discovering, is that there are black men making seven figures. Now, for me to even get to six figures or learning there was brothers making six figures That was mind blowing about five years ago. And then it became normal. And then I'm starting to work with guys that are making 250, 500,000, 700,000, 90,000, 120,000, 170, 280, and that becomes normal. And then every blue moon, there was a brother who was making seven figures. And I was just started, you gotta imagine, my mind is just absolutely blown away that this class of black men in this economic class exist and they're very quiet they're very quiet this group typically and i just started to research them and nerd out on who are these guys and so now my brand is focused on helping black men make seven figures my community loves it I'm learning as I go. I'm what I call a growth junkie. If there's an opportunity to grow and learn, I'm interested in it. So yeah, it feels just good to be on the forefront of that brand, if you will, but of my own growth and learning curve at the same time. Gotcha. You know, I was thinking about it as well. I was like, yeah, it's very, it's very unique when you get around certain circles and you're able to see, man, people are living like this. I have to backtrack a little bit because I have a question to you. Why specifically black men? I know you got an opportunity to be around them, but not why not black women? Why not, you know, everybody? Why specifically black men? Why do you feel called to the specific group? And, I'll, you know, I'm biracial. My mother's Scottish Canadian. My father's African-American. And so growing up along, my dad is a businessman. Um and I was just talking, I had this, this WhatsApp group of brothers, it's like 41 guys, and we talk about different business topics. And one was the difference between hustle, a hustle, hustle, hustler, hustling, and a businessman. And is there a difference? What are those components? How do they weave in with one another? Are they separate? These kind of conversations. Growing up with my dad, we were hustling uh, for money. So I'd be with my dad. He'd bring over some roses, some ferns, some baby's breath, that plastic wrapper that goes around it to make this nice rose that you would go and sell, essentially. And we would get about, I don't know, 30 or 40, spend a few hours, 30 or 40 of those. We get them together, put them in a bucket, walk from the from the house down the hill, round the corner, 
over one block, stand at Lake Merritt in Oakland, California. And he would push me out in front. I'm young. I'm like six years, seven years old. And on cuteness factor alone at that age, <laughs> I would be selling and he would stand back in the cut and he would coach me and he would guide me. So even as a youngster, we were doing business together. And because my dad was firmly in the black community with, as far as socializing, as far as business is concerned, that really was the world that I was involved in. And he and I working together where he would ask me real questions about business. What do you think of this location? He would have nightclubs as well. What do you think mm -hmm. of this DJ? What do you think about these artists? What do you think about this food? What do you think about these drinks, all non-alcoholic? And so yeah. I would give this feedback and have this coaching relationship with this black man and all of it was black community focused. So, and I got really good at it as well. And so this was ingrained in me to work with black men in a business mindset from a very early age. And it's just something that I kept with me as something that I'm good at, something that I'm passionate about, something I love to be involved in. And it feeds me to see my clients win and see them do well uh, and build this brotherhood experience at the same time. I'd say hopefully that speaks to where that comes from in that decision. And there comes a point in life because my dad only knew what he knew where we take what our parents give us, we take that, that baton and we move forward and yeah. we keep it going. And so I, I got what my dad had to give me as far as business and I took that baton and then I wanted to be around other black men that had figured it out from that gendered cultural and racial perspective of what it, how do black men think in order to move, in order to win in these sectors where there are typically very few black men present. And so learning all those skills and getting all this education, for me, it's informed me on how I can move and what possibilities are available for me and what I need to do in order to win in these sectors as well. So there's kind of, there's the, what I'm good at, there's the give back component, but there's also the piece of, this is my Harvard. This is my MBA. This is mm -hmm. my IT. This is my um, uh, Wharton is working with guys that have already succeeded and are showing me how to do it from that gendered racial cultural perspective as well. Got it. Oh, I, 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 I hear where you're coming from because when you have, a situation where you're raised by this particular role model, which is your father, he's teaching you all that you, and now you want to basically give back to a community that has given to you. It makes sense that you have an affiliation there, an affinity for that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just kind of even push it further in regards to when, because you're working with people that are, I'm assuming from various industries, whether it's the tech industry, whether it's also maybe in uh, facility management or infrastructure, whether it's maybe people that are architects, whatever the case may be. Do you have a specific niche in regards to who your clients may be coming from, which industry, or is it more or less like a general sort of like wherever they may come from, they come? Yeah, it's industry, industry agnostic. So there's guys that are coming from all over, uh, different industry sectors, and I like that. I have thought about niching down tech probably, you know, seems to you know just come to mind as maybe obvious just because of the money there and maybe the openness to 
coaching. I'd have to see the research on that. But that would be a, a great place to probably niche down on. But I like keeping it broad, keeping it open. And especially with this new community that I'm launching, we're going to definitely keep that open. And I think one of the benefits is guys do at times pivot industries. So they may be in, uh, you know, focused on supply chain or focused on defense. And they've done that. They've done it for 20 years, 15 years, 10 years. They want to see what opportunities are out there for them outside. You got guys in tech. Um, tech has its highs and it has its lows. There's, there's a good amount of volatility as far as hiring sprees and then doing a lot of layoffs, kind of like the tide goes in, goes out. And I recommend that my guys look at the quote unquote non-sexy industries, you know, co consumer goods, maybe something like that. Something that's not entertainment, it's not tech, it's not flashy at all. It's a little more stable, but they can still make great money and have a significant impact doing that. And it's for that reason, I like having that diversity of industry amongst the black executive men, uh, mm -hmm. clients and the alumni for them to be able to weave in and out as they see fit to keeping their opportunities uh, available. Okay, gotcha. And to dive deeper into what, when somebody comes to you, mm -hmm. what is normally what they're looking for, for you for, to provide for them for a service? Is it because they feel stagnant? Is it they become, they don't, they don't feel like they have the mindset of a CEO or someone that is a high income earner in regards to the field that they're in? Like, what are the different criteria that people may be coming to you to help them with? So the number one thing, it's mid-level guys. So let's say they're a manager and they're looking for a director role like that. Actually, right there, it's a good number of guys are looking to become an executive. How do they do that? So that's typically at a new company. It could be through a promotion at their own org, but many times they're looking for their dream job as far as an executive role. <clears throat> so some of the things that so many of the times they know how to do their job well. But there's all of these components around building your career that they never really were taught. I'd say the number one thing would be networking. So we could probably generalize this across corporate America. Black men, no exception. They may be focused on their job, their workplace, but not so much around building out their network with people from other companies, tapping into the hidden job market really optimizing the resume. Oh, you said a, sorry, you said a hidden job market, you said? Yeah. So when we talk about the three ways to get a job, number one is going to be your, your cold apps. You're just applying on Monster, Indeed, Glassdoor, LinkedIn, stuff like that. Very competitive, can be very hard to get a job that way. The second thing is recruiters. So recruiters finding you on LinkedIn or maybe conferences or something like that or colleague referral. And then you have the hidden job market and that comes through networking and reaching out to your first, second, third degree connections or completely cold people you don't know and speaking with them about the organization, mm. the industry, your skill set, seeing if there's opportunities available, if you would be a good fit and then getting referred internally. Uh, I've seen a stat that says you're five times more likely to get a role if you're referred internally for it versus doing a cold application on LinkedIn. And I made a post about that literally today on LinkedIn and people reached out and said, yep, current role, I never applied for it. I yeah. went to the hidden job market. 
these are going to be jobs that are not necessarily even publicized on one of those sites. It's things that they know about internally at the org, and they're saying, hey, do you have a colleague? Hey, what about at your previous company? Hey, do you know someone that could do this role that could just take it on? Pretty much someone that's already been vetted for the role. So that we call that the hidden job market. Nice. And I think that I'm listening to my audience. I'm imagining what they're saying right now. They said, okay, great. That sounds fantastic for somebody that's up here. I'm, I'm pretty much entry level or I just got my first job in tech. I'm trying to maneuver and I want, I want a piece of that hidden job market. Besides networking, are there any other tips that you could provide for me so I could stand out? Yeah, absolutely. So I talk about the four pillars of career success. And the first pillar, it's the 100% formula. That means doing your job at 100%. And you might think, well, of course, I'm already doing that. That's a given. You know, I was talking with a, a previous client, Fortune 500 company, paid well. And he was telling me about meetings that they were having. And he wanted to just have more of a presence and ultimately get to executive presence, things like that. Mm. But in the meetings, when it was time for people to talk, he didn't have much to say. And I said, okay, well, let's dissect this. So other people have something to say. He says, yes. I said, well, how did they have something to say? He says, well, there's a email that goes out with information that we're supposed to read ahead of time and then talk about it. And I say, do you read that email? He says, during nope. the meeting. That's the problem. If you read it ahead of time, but he didn't think about it. It was what we call a blind spot. This guy's got the education, the background, top company, making good money. He just didn't see it. A little so thing. He helped yeah. him see it, and he started reading ahead of time, and then he was able to contribute. The 100% formula. The second thing, and this is probably most applicable to people that are entry level, it's your internal marketing campaign. Internal, inside of the company. Marketing sharing your value, campaign, ongoing. Many of us are told the best thing you can do is just put your head down, get your job done. The CEO will notice. Everyone will love you. You'll get raises and promotions. You'll find out that that's not necessarily the rules of the game in corporate. It is pretty essential to do that, the 100% formula, get it done, do a good job. But who knows you? who's advocating for you on higher levels of seniority yeah. becomes increasingly more important, especially the higher you go. Mm -hmm. So that I break it down pretty simply. You need to have an executive sponsor. I know that's not always the case, especially for entry level, but that's ideal. Yeah. Mentors throughout the company and a relationship with your manager or skip level manager and updating them via email, so it's written, not just verbally spoken out loud, on be it a quarterly, monthly, or weekly level. It just mm. depends, especially on the weekly level, that's typically for manager, how comfortable they are. Yeah. On not only the activity, and hear me out on this one, folks, not just the activity you're doing, the top three things, let's say, but the value that that activity brings to your team, the division, to your boss, to the company, knowing your value that it brings is yeah. so important. So that's your internal marketing campaign. And it builds this narrative over time 
of the value and impact that you bring to your organization. Very different from somebody who's putting their head down, getting the job done, annual review comes and manager says, so tell me what you've been up to. You're like, you're my manager. You're supposed to know. You're supposed to watch me. They're golfing. They're spending time with the family. They have their own boss. They have health concerns. They're probably not paying that close attention to you as you might like them to. So that second pillar, it's it's crucial. The third one, I'll be brief. It's professional development. Having mm-hmm. your large annual goals. This might be getting your MBA, executive MBA, something like that. Learning a new language so you can help penetrate a new market for your company. Your quarterly goals. This is usually one, two, three day conferences. And your weekly goals. Read a book, free lunch and learn, stuff like that. So you are knowledge wise at the top of your game, what's happening at your company and bonus points in your industry in general. Mm. And the last pillar, it's your network. The best time to get a job is when you have a job. job. (laughs) It's when you have a job. Your network can bring about merited and unmerited success. I could not emphasize your network enough. And speaking about network, you said something that was very, I think, important is that executive sponsorship. That's the word you use, right? Sponsorship. Can you talk to people, if you can, about the difference between a mentor and a sponsor and how they both hold value in regards to climbing or growing career-wise? 100%. And I love this. And I had to learn about this distinction myself because uh, for you all and just in full transparency, I'm not actually a... I'm not actually, and I love corporate, but I don't have a corporate background. I've never had a W-2 corporate role. I don't have an MBA. My background is psychotherapy, tears, tissue, and trauma. But I learn from my clients, first, second, third quarter, product manager, program manager, VC, angel investor, all of these pieces of the puzzle. So this is one of them that I learned as well about executive sponsors mentors and the differences in terms of an executive sponsor typically that is somebody who is uh, an executive that's actively opening doors and advocating for your advancement they may go as far as coming down to your manager and saying we need to promote this individual what do we need to do to make that happen That's an executive sponsor. These people are priceless, especially when you have a good rapport with them. A mentor, typically somebody that's sharing with you how they got to where they're going, then you can pick and pull from that what can work for you. So the information is possibly applicable, Possibly not, but they're not typically, they can, but not not typically opening doors for your promotion. And that's a key difference, but you do want to have both, especially as early career professionals. Hey family, I'm back again. You talked about Course Careers Technology Sales Course and what it did to change my life. Wait, 
there's more. Not only is it technology sales information technology courses as well. Now there's human resources, customer success, UI UX. And did I even mention that there also is software development as well? Front end, back end, and DevOps? Listen, this is something that you definitely want to take advantage of. So go ahead and click that link. Don't forget there's a discount from me if you click that link. And I hope to see you on the other side. I love that in the sense that you really want to have both a mentor and a sponsor as you're looking to make this leap, jump, or take these baby steps to the next position that you want to have, whether you're starting as an SDR, BDR, if you're starting in the doing IT help desk, whatever the case may be, look for a mentor, look for a sponsor. I'm, I'm hearing the questions again. They're saying, okay, that sounds great, but how do I even get the attention of somebody who's an executive to sponsor me? What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say that there are company programs out there that you can just sign up for. So if they exist, you definitely want to be a part of that in crowd. Get close to power. Uh, that's important as well. Don't shy away from it. You might be a little nervous around it, but get comfortable, uh, familiar and comfortable with it. So if there is an executive sponsorship program, then go ahead and put your name in the hat for that. The other thing is it's going to come down to networking. If there's opportunities where senior leaders are hobnobbing, go ahead and make yourself a part of that committee or that social setting as well. Yeah, so I would say that's a big piece surrounding how to get an executive sponsor. Show up to where they're at. Definitely follow them on LinkedIn. And if they're making com uh, posts, you want to be one of the first people that's going to comment on that post for them to get a familiarity with who you are. And then over time, hop into the DMs, send them a connection request and get a conversation going that way. We're talking about sales. So you know how it is when you're trying to sell and close a deal. This, this is no different presenting your value, building rapport, showing interest in the other person, building a real relationship, and then transitioning to see if they're open to an executive sponsorship and if they'd be open to it with you. Yes, sponsorship, sponsorship, sponsorship. I, I could think about some times where I had somebody that did mentor me and encourage you to do X, Y, and Z. And the sponsor was definitely the one that said, hey, I have this opportunity for you, or I see that I see this in you. I want to take this, take you there, do this. And sometimes we don't even realize the importance of having a sponsor. So I thank you for that breakdown, because that is something that we can now take in our minds and say, ah, I realize this, and I could go ahead and do that. Now, I'm going to get a little bit on the, for lack of a better word, on the more challenging side of this, because one thing I know growing up and is that sometimes in life you experience a lot. And there are a lot of people here that whether they may be entry level or they're up in the C-suite, we might have deal with some childhood trauma that could be affecting the way we are looking to move forward within our careers and really in life. So, mm -hmm. so can you talk about how childhood trauma has affected not just your clients that you see, the black men that you're working with that are six, seven figure earners, 
but also how it could possibly be affecting those that are listening to this live right now. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this whole story that's called The Princess and the Pea. And my mom used to tell this to me when I was a kid. I love the fables and stuff like that. So The Princess and the Pea, just very briefly, there was a prince needed wanted needed to get married. And so they invited the princesses or, or single women from around the village, the hamlet, whatever, right? So there they come. But they had this test. They're going to line a bunch of matches, let's say 100. And underneath the bottom one, there's a pea. And they put the pea underneath the bottom. And they say the, uh, the young lady who cannot sleep at night because she's irritated by this pea is the princess, not only the princess, the right princess for you, and that's who you should marry. Cool. Mm -hmm. So they put the word out. He's a princess. Ladies are lined up outside. So one after the other, they go up the ladder. They go to sleep. First one, sound asleep. Out the right. Second, third, fourth, you get it. They get to the end of the line. All of them. Snoring, you name it. So he's, you know, feeling kind of downtrodden, hasn't found the right one. They're closing down shop. There's a young lady, comes knocking the door, says she's been traveling for a while, exhausted, needs a place to sleep. They said, well, there's a hunter mattresses. Go ahead. You can sleep on the top. Next day, she climbs down and says, I could not sleep. All night, I was tossing and turning. There's something uncomfortable about these beds. Eyes light up, find out she's a princess. However, they work it out. She agrees to marry him. They get married happily ever after. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how you might think of uh, trauma, is that in your very challenging, very difficult uh, life experiences, we're just going to talk openly abuses of all kind, physical, emotional, uh, you name it, that are things that just frankly happen. Abandonment, even being teased to uh, in, in a moderate or extreme degree can be traumatizing. So I'm not here to you know judge or categorize what is or isn't, but mm -hmm. at the bottom of your psyche, if you will, are all these mattresses that can still be disturbing you. How you view your opportunities in life, what is uh, something that you should be going for. It's a business context here. So opportunities you should take, jobs you should apply for, how you communicate with people in the office place. You might get what they call triggered very easily by yeah. certain words, certain mannerisms, body postures, things that people say, don't say, can set you off. And somebody else might say, wow, that is a big response. And even you yourself are like, it's a big response, but it's natural for me. It feels, it just is what I felt like, not realizing that that could be connected to a protective mechanism related to trauma as a child or as a teenager or even as a young adult. So when we were talking earlier about these two ends of the cycle, therapy or psychology spectrum, being more, let's take a look at what happened to you in your past and see how we can resolve that. So let's stick there for a moment. Can't change your past. You can't change your past as far as I'm aware of. Uh, as a ther former therapist, I couldn't change your past. But what I could do and help someone to do and what you can do is to change your relationship with your past. The event happened. It's over. 
but you're still carrying it with you. You still have it in your mind. So it's still present. And that is a relationship between who you are today and who you were in the past and how that trauma is this kind of bond in between. Trauma bond, essentially, but with yourself, former self, the younger self. And there are tools in psychotherapy. Number one, typically, not always, but typically, it's identifying the emotion that you had near or during the time you experienced the trauma. Oftentimes when people mm -hmm. are experiencing trauma, they shut it down and it kind of just locks in on a psychological level and they move forward. So the healing process, kind of like if you have a something, you know, a, a wound on your arm, they put a Band-Aid over it, you open it, you take it off and then yeah. you can treat it. Or if there's a disease inside of the body, surgery at times you may need, cancer possibly. You got to open up the body and see what's going on inside for these treatments. So when we talk about uh, trauma from the past, one of those ways to kind of open it up and look at it is through identifying the emotional states that you had. And what that does is that can bring you present to where you were, when that was going on, into what they call in the therapy world, process it. Essentially, mm. discharge the emotional impact surrounding it and realize, number one, there that that was in the past. Just heal your relationship with it. And there's all kind of tools and modalities to yeah. help you do that. And finding the right therapist that has the right modalities can work wonders for you. I've seen it happen with my clients again and again and again, where there were still, they still have that trauma history. Didn't change. They were still, let's say, abused or neglected in some yeah. way. Didn't change. But they've healed their relationship with that previous experience so it no longer impacts them today. And they can start to see more possibility, more opportunity, improved interpersonal relationships, improved influence as far as communication is concerned. And really start to live their life in the present and move toward the future instead of being held back by their past. It's a great question. Hey, do you feel stuck? Do you feel like you're just at the same place in your career and you don't really see a way out? This is a great time for you to take it to the next level. Level Careers is a course that I've been talking about for some time. From account executive and even sales engineering, there are courses that can help you propel from where you are now to where you wanna go. Check out the link below, use my promo code Joseph10 and check out the free courses, whether that's the SOC analyst course, the account executive course, or the sales engineer course. Take your career to the next level. That made me think as you're talking, what have you found to be consistently the number one issue? And this, of course, you could say any specific stories with any of your specific clients, but like, what is a number one issue, mental block, or whatever you could feel like is a is a, like a hurdle for your clients to have to overcome mentally, whether it's imposter syndrome, whatever the case may be, in order for them to get to the next level? Because I think the audience could definitely benefit from something that is a is a trend. They might be dealing with the same thing as well. So. There's the piece around mental health, and then I'll just talk more broadly. 
uh, about just my clients in general. Now I don't work on mental health. So it's more on that coaching lifestyle creation, getting a new job, making more money, starting your business, stuff like that. Mental health, I would say it's challenges with one's parents and either they were abused uh, by them or neglected by them in some way. Not all the times, not all the cases, but probably the majority of people coming in, that was the challenge they were having in their youth was something around their parents. And it impacts them, I'd say many times around being able to be vulnerable and open up to other people as an adult. So they have a, a sense of being guarded in that way. Through the process of psychotherapy, it's a, it's a pretty intimate, uh, vulnerable experience through, through communication back and forth, a dialogue. And so it helps them to practice that and kind of break out of their own, own old shell, heal, and then take that skill set forward into the relationships and into the workplace going forward. But overall, around mindset, and this may be surprising, it may not be. Frankly, it's around expectations and them not having someone that has very high expectations for them. The guys that I'm typically working with, I say that they're born driven. So they may be the most successful person in their family, extended family included, possibly, or maybe just as far as their siblings are concerned. So they were typically the first, maybe the first to get their MBA, first to get their PhD, first to go to MIT, first to go to Harvard Business School, first to work at Google or Nike, first to be a director, manager, first to be in corporate America, first to be a VP, first to be in the C-suite, have their own VC firm, first to be an angel investor, you name it. They're the first. And yet they often at many times they're really trying to figure it out for their own and trying to figure out what is the barometer for success here. And so yeah. they're looking around at other black men and they're the only one there. So they don't really have someone so to say, Oh, kind of like when you're in college, you're supposed to graduate in four years, maybe five. Right. But pretty much, pretty much four. you got that message. Then a few of us got the message of you need to go to grad school. Not everybody got that message. And so I meet with guys frequently who are like, should I, should I not? Nobody told me I need to do it. Is it really worth it? Is it a good thing? Will it help me? So uh, when we talk about seven figures, that's an expectation that I have in my community and for my clients. And I get it. That's polarizing. When I post about that on LinkedIn, I get guys that say, thank you, because I'm already ambitious. That's a great goal for me slash us to shoot for. Awesome. It speaks to my ambition. And then I get some people who, for whatever, all kind of reasons, really do not like that message and have things to say around why it's incorrect, it's unnecessary, this, that, and the third. However, when I'm meeting with my clients, and let's say they're bringing in 250, and uh, I'd say something like, well, let's talk about you getting to seven figures. And they're like, oh, okay. And so we start talking about, first off, their mindset, is that even okay? 
for them to make seven figure. So if somebody had a job or business or it, they may not take it because in their mind, they have a cap on what's appropriate based on what they know mm. to make, what yeah. they know anybody to make it, let's say their level of seniority. And so that's what they strive for is 250 or 180 or crossing six figures or maybe 500,000. And then they say, that's it for me. That's, that's my, that's where I top out. So when we have the conversations, I say, based on what I'm hearing, you should be making seven figures. Let's talk about how do you have your podcast? Do you have your newsletter? Do you have executive sponsors? Do you have five executives that are in the role you want to get to ultimately that you can call on speed dial? Is your resume mm. professionally done? Is your LinkedIn firing on all cylinders so recruiters are reaching out to you daily for top tier opportunities? Are you networking with VPs and directors and C-suite on a daily basis? Are you part of the VC conversations? And if not, why not? Why are you not a part? Why is that person, but you don't have to do that for your family. Your kids can go to private schools. You can fly to Dubai in style. You can have a beachfront property. You can have top tier medical care. You can retire your parents, make sure they have medical care. You right. can make sure your kids don't have to graduate with a ton of debt from university. Why wouldn't you want that? For your own life it very quickly gets to i do want it perfect so the high expectation is what i lay out for them first mm -hmm. off i'm a coach i have expectations for your success this ain't a kick it session this yeah. is you maximizing your potential and i'm not pivoting off that square you need to be making seven figures so as you can tell even from how i'm amping up the energy some guys love it and it's the it's it's what they're looking for and they're like i can actually play full out mm -hmm. i can go for it all the way we're not just talking about money we're talking about unlocking potential yeah. professionally and impact and here is a path even if it's just mindset alone here's a door for me to tap into my own potential more so I'd yeah. say the top thing that's missing, we talked about mindset and we can go into, I'd say it's probably belief in one's own potential is it's, it's, there's room for improvement. And I also think what's missing uh, is high expectations as a community. And I'd say this niche community, because uh, there's a lot in the black community. There's a lot of variety. There's a lot of diversity. But amongst black men in corporate America, this niche community, having that communal standard of this is the goal, a goal to hit, I would say that's missing by and large mm. to our detriment. Ooh, I have another question, but I don't want to keep you here all night uh, <laughs> or all day, I should say. <laughs> oh, man, you have me. Now you have a question about goal setting, because if you can't see it how, and realize it, how could you even pursue it? Oh, um, let, 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 that's the second to last question I'm going to ask you, I promise. Goal setting. How do you go about setting the goals for each of your clients and, and making sure that they, okay, I'm going to, oh, this is the goal I have now. I worked with Jewel. We defined this goal. He's going to hold me accountable. How do you go about that process of goal setting? Yeah. 
It's pretty simple. I mean, we typically figure that out in the discovery call. So I'll just kind of lay out my process here. So um, they get into my funnel, however that happens, usually organic uh, social media. And then we hop on a discovery call, 15 minutes. We're just there to see if it's a good fit or not, or I need to refer them out, something like that. If I can help them, if I can't. Typically during that discovery call, I'm finding out what their goals are. It's mm-hmm. usually around getting a new job, getting a promotion, and then let to a less degree, they want to become coaches. I'm a coach. They want to learn how to become a coach. They want to become a coach uh, or it's business uh, owners that are looking to grow their business in some way, shape or form. So the goals are pretty much laid out in that 15 minute discovery call. Hey, Jewel, I want a new job in the next 90 days or six months. Boom. That's the goal. It's usually driven by them. During the next call, the strategy call, 45 minute deep dive on their career, what their ambitions are, how they move, their personality, their character, relationship with family. We really get into it because I'm building a community and it's not just a one-on-one thing. I'm looking for guys that are gonna play well in the larger community and have something to bring as well. So 45 minute deep dive. And that's usually when I bring out the big guns as far as seven figures, these different pieces around their personal brand, their network, um, their profile, professional identity, executive presence, impact statement, their professional mission, all of these pieces of the puzzle that if they optimize them, that let's say they're turned off, If we turn them all on, let's say like 21 items, their opportunities go through the roof. And those are the hows in order to get them to the what of their specific goal. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And and the last thing I'll say to this, because, I again, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much again for spending the time to speak with us today on another edition of Tech Niche Tips. Sure. There are people that are watching this. They they know that you're catering towards people that are right at the six figures, trying to get to that seven figure. What piece of what lasting words would you want to leave with the audience? Those that are either trying to break into tech, just got their first tech job, or even those that have been in the field for a while. What will your lasting words be to them before we go? Yeah. So if you're just breaking into tech kind of more earlier maybe early career or early breaking into tech, or maybe just breaking into six figures, or maybe, you know, maybe close to 200,000 or something like that. Um, The lasting words are, I expect you to make seven figures. I expect you to make, (laughs) I'm not pivoting off that. We're not moving. We're not shifting. We're not changing. And so then that means the four pillars 100% in your current role. It means internal marketing campaign. That means sharing your value with key players. Uh, That means professional development, your large, medium, and small goals. And that definitely means continuing to network, talking to people that earn more than you. How do they think? How do they move? And because the best time to get a job is when you have a job. So I would say, Think about your seven-figure play and start to plan that out in your life. Even if it's for the next 20 years, plant that seed and water it. 
Love it, love it, love it. So everybody, you heard four pillars. Go ahead and get that started. Thank you so much to Jewel for joining us today. If you have not already, go ahead and like, comment, and share. If you're on LinkedIn, if you're on YouTube, go ahead and like, comment, share, and subscribe uh, as we grow this channel. So again, thank you so much for watching this. And until next time, family, we hope to see you on the other side. Take care. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bye, family.